Welcome to The Ledge. My name is Chris Harper, and I'll be your host every week. Every Tuesday, I will interview an artist, developer, or creative mind from the Web3 space. I'll be getting up close and personal with my guests as we explore the emerging crypto art and NFT scene. It is my feeling, along with many others, that we are in a digital renaissance. The emergence of blockchain technology has revolutionized the way we look at ownership, provenance, and digital assets. It is my goal as your host to help shed light on these complex subjects and even more so the individuals behind it all who are carving out their place in history here on the ledge of Web3. My name is Chris Harper, and this is another episode of The Ledge. I'd like to thank you all for joining me today. Today, I have a guest on my show. Her name is Minaji. Minaji is a crypto artist and an urban explorer. Hi, Minaji. How are you? Hi, GM. How's it going? GM, GM. Yeah, it's good. Thank you. <laughs> How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm happy to have you on the podcast. I've been trying to get you on for a little while. I've been pretty excited to talk to you. Yeah, likewise. Um, it's been a little bit hard. I've been like traveling for the last couple of weeks, so I'm glad to finally be here. Nice, nice. That, that's a great lead into my first question for you. Tell me your name, your age, where you're from, and where you live. Um, so I'm Minaji. Um, I'm going to not answer my age because I don't like to share, share personal details. Minaji is not even like my real personal first, first name, if that's okay. okay. Um, and I am in the New York City area. <laughs> Right on. That's perfectly okay. And uh, as a lot of crypto artists and people are doing nowadays, that's a pseudonym that you're using. Yes, it's my online identity. <laughs> Do you are you able to tell us like where you grew up, like where you're from at all, or like some, yeah. some your like your childhood and your background? Yes. So I was born in Bangladesh. Um, I am half Bangladeshi and half Kashmiri. Um, my family and I immigrated when I was five to New York City. Um, and we've just been in like the New York, New Jersey area since then. Did you go to like public school or private school when you got here? Um, my mom was a teacher when I was really, really young when we first immigrated. So I started out in private school in a private Islamic school, uh -huh. then went to public school um, when I was in like second grade. Right on. Yeah. Yeah. Did you uh, did you have any like art art background at all from from school? Did you like did you get into art early? Nope. Art nope. is not a thing that like is, uh, I guess like the, most of the brown community does not like push art, you know? Um, so like growing up, we were taught like, you got to be a doctor, you got to be a lawyer, you got to be an engineer, like some sort of like STEM field. So yeah, yeah this is very non-traditional. <laughs> that your experience? Was that your, did your parents push you to become like a doctor, lawyer, engineer? Um, my parents pushed me to become a teacher and that was the one thing I did not want to do because like my whole like mom's side of the family, they're all teachers, you know, my sister ended up being a teacher. She knew she wanted to be a teacher. And then I was like, no, I don't want to be a teacher. Like you're all teachers. I don't want to do that. Um, <laughs> okay. and then funny thing is I started volunteering, um, at like this like Sunday school uh -huh. and I fell in love with teaching <laughs> and like last semester of college, I was like, I'm going to be a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> What about your father? Um, so my father, he, when we immigrated, he was like, he did a lot of like manual labor jobs, uh -huh. um, worked at a paint factory, worked at a chicken factory. Um, and then like the whole like computer internet scene came out uh -huh. and he self-taught, um, is self-taught like a, a computer programmer and like in the IT field, he's been doing that um, since the start of it. So, yeah. Oh, wow. So when you were little, did you have a lot of um, exposure to computers? I did. Um, my dad, when he was learning all of that for himself, he wanted right. us to get into it, too, because he was like, this is the future. Wow. Um, so he would kind of like teach us. And I was like, I don't want to do this either. <laughs> <laughs> How are you like, are you pretty computer literate? I think I am. I actually want to get into coding now with um, with everything NFTs and smart contracts. I feel like just learning um, even like some of the basics is going to open a lot of doors for me Yeah. Um, as an artist. So it's just funny how things kind of just come around like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You said that, the, that, that like in your community and 
in people in your background don't really push art, but do you have any artists in your family or in your like in your like orbit at all? Um, <laughs> professionally, no. Okay. Um, my dad is very like he's very hands on, very creative. He likes to take things apart, but put things back together. Yeah. Um, he's like a handyman type. He also likes to paint a lot, so I get like a lot of like creativity from there and then like with my mom being a teacher like she has a lot of creativity in terms of like the way she wants to teach and educate the students and things like that so I I guess like both my parents have like expressed their creativity in different ways but not necessarily like professionally as an artist sure yeah Uh, what 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 made you think you wanted to become an artist um honestly I didn't I had no plan. <laughs> it, like, like uh, I didn't see myself pursuing becoming like a professional artist until NFTs. Yeah. Um, but I was always before that I was pursuing photography and I was getting into videography and things like that. But it was always going to be like a like a side thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no, I guess, like option for me to kind of like make this a full time thing until NFTs came around. And I feel like that's the case for a lot of folks. Right. And, and from what I've gathered from you is that you're the way you express yourself through art is mainly through photography and video. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. What was the, when did you first pick up a camera? Um, this was 2018. I don't know if mobile photography counts, but like prior to 2018, it was always shooting on my phone. Um, so I started learning, I guess, like the basics of like compositions and photography just by shooting on my phone. Um, but I didn't actually get a proper camera until 2018. Um, it was exploring that actually got me into like that, like push that desire to pick up an actual camera. Um, so I was at an abandoned resort in upstate New York and I saw the Milky Way for like the first time. I literally cried. It was such an emotional moment for me. And I was like trying to capture it with my phone and it was just not working out. Um, And like the homies around me, like they all had their cameras and things like that. And I was like, that's it. I I need to get a camera. Um, I need to like document what I'm seeing um, and experiencing and feeling just for myself. Um, And the goal to get a camera was to get into Astro. Um, And I still want to do Astro. I just have not since i got it <laughs> i understand i understand <laughs> there's so many things to do and uh and it seems from what i can tell of looking through your stuff you've done a lot of stuff so let's jump into that a little bit you're you have a unique spin on your art you're the first person that i've talked to on my show that does what you do you're like you're an urban explorer am i saying that right am i calling you the right thing Yes, yeah. um, an urban explorer. Um, yeah. And then if you want to narrow it down a little bit, a rooftopper. So, yeah. Yeah, which is crazy to me. Because <laughs> <laughs> I see your pictures of you hanging off buildings and it makes my stomach <laughs> drop out of my stomach. I just can't take looking at it almost. <laughs> Terrifying. <laughs> How did you become a rooftopper and an urban explorer? What happened? What was the path to that? Um, so I had quit teaching. Um, moved to the corporate world. Um, so I was like in between careers and this was 2017 and I was also like going through some personal stuff at the time. Um, so emotionally I was like, I don't even know who I am anymore. I want to find myself. Um, and, uh, there was also like, I think like 2015, 2016, like Instagram was going crazy with like rooftopping photography and like it was getting a lot of attention. So I was seeing all these photos from like guys in like Hong Kong, um, most especially like, you know, climbing spires and at the top of these buildings. And it was always something that had appealed to me. Um, so I was like, literally just one day, like it's been sitting on the back of my mind, like one day I woke up and I was like, if I don't do this now, um, as a way to kind of like find myself, challenge myself to get out there for myself, I will never do it. Um, so I just kind of like, was like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just go. Um, so my first like quote rooftop was like a 10 story parking deck, um, like 10 minutes away from my house. 
um, kind of like gave me a little bit of like a taste of like the experience. Obviously had to sit on the edge, had to stand, had to like do the dangles um, for the culture, you know, just to get a little bit of an experience. And, and then since then, like I started posting some photos, I like found like a whole community of like ur- other urban explorers. I did not know like this was a thing um, until like this community popped up. And like, it was just like one thing led to another. And like, it was a snowball effect. And here I am, like, five, six years later. (laughs) This is like a whole subculture. There's a whole subculture of people that are doing what you're doing, right? Yes, yes. All over the world. um, And it goes from like tunnels and underground to like abandoned places to like rooftops and bridges and windmills and just climbing all different things. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm assuming now that you've been in this world for five years, you've networked your way through there and you know people doing all kinds of stuff, huh? It's crazy. There are so many people doing so many amazing things. It just blows my mind. Do you guys have like a secret chat room somewhere where you, where you give each other tips on like how to get into this or how to get into that? Like the average person <laughs> probably doesn't even know where to begin to like go like rooftoping. Like I, I would say like for myself, I wouldn't even know where to start. So that's the thing, like with this culture, like it's very much like we don't share that information. There's a lot of gatekeeping. Um, And also because like gatekeeping, because like for selfish reasons in terms of like, like if someone like has a spot or they go to a spot, they want to be able to continue going back to it, especially if they really like it. Um, And the more people like and being like this is such like a like everything that we're doing is illegal. It's trespassing, you know. Um, So for that reason, like the more people who go, the more likely it is to like the spot to get destroyed. Um, Either like through entry methods or like graffiti or or just like get people getting caught. Um, So it's very much like if someone finds a spot, it's hush hush. And they only really tell the people that they know until everyone decides to like drop it. And it's like drop day, you know. Um, And then it kind of goes public and then other people kind of find out they research the spot, they check Google Earth. um, And like there's this whole thing. There's this whole like everyone has like a different process, but like Google Earth, Google Maps, right? It's very helpful. Um, And like just stalking everybody's profiles. And like I don't do any of that stuff anymore, but like. Um, there's like every year there's like a new batch of explorers and it's just so cute to like see like all of these like new explorers kind of like find their way to all of these spots Um, and uh, and then at the same time like there's like all that and like selfish reasons for yourself but then there's also like just the whole concept of like wanting to protect the spot and not like have it destroyed there was one spot here in the city like everybody and their mom hit it and um it like the more people that hit it the more likely it is to get clipped and by clipped we mean like just inaccessible um and the spot just gets destroyed it was trash there was like just beer bottles and cans everywhere graph everywhere the door itself like i don't use tools it goes against like my personal ethics for exploring but like other people do um the door itself by the time i got around to it it was wrecked um and obviously like that's like hundreds of dollars thousands of dollars you know that building management has to pay and when they find these kids doing these things like they're going to step up their game um, and put extra cameras or put extra security methods so there's that too and then on top of that it's like the more you put out there the more um because like this type of work generally gets a lot of attention anyways Mm -hmm. so on the legal front um a lot of us like here in new york city um and i'm sure elsewhere are we're already on the radar for a lot of um like nypd has like a department that specifically like keeps track of urban explorers um so like we're already on that radar um pretty sure they look at all our feeds a lot of people's accounts are private they have private private accounts um just to share like the most like coveted um new spots and things like that so the more you put out there the more public you are the more likely you are to also like you're just putting evidence of your doings out there you know so For sure. There's a pretty like notable artist in uh, the NFT community who's had a lot of legal troubles drift. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Drifter shoots. He goes by drifter shoots. Have you met him? Do you know him? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I mean, you know, I've listened to podcasts and read a lot of his stories. He's had a lot of like legal troubles because of his 
um, is urban exploring. How do you, you, you talked about your ethics for a minute. How did you, how do you, how do you kind of like come up with your own code of ethics in this, in this world? Like, how did that work for you? Um, well, my faith really guides a lot of that. Um, yeah. And for me, it's very much like, and then the urban exploring community, like there's this whole uh, concept of take only, f- leave only footprints, take only photos. Um, okay. So it's basically okay. like you just don't want to leave any trace of you anywhere that you go because you're not even supposed to be there in the first place. Right. Um, and if you take anything, yeah, just take yeah. the photos. Um, yeah. So I like beyond that, like in my faith, like we don't like if a door is closed, if it's locked, like you don't force your way into it. Like it's just like a faith thing because um, you're just not supposed to be there, you know? Um, right. So for me, like surprisingly, a lot of the spots, like I haven't had to open up um, and I, I, I'm i just kind of blessed in that way. Like I will wait until like everybody hits it and then I'll be like, all right, I'll just go get it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, open now. Um, so if anybody else wants to open it, that's good on them. That's uh, That fits along with like their ethics and values and whatever. Um, but for me, like if it, if, if it's not already open, I probably won't get it. Um, and I'm okay with that. I'm not like, I know like some folks really just like there's specific buildings that like, um, they have to get no matter what, and they will do anything to get that spot. I'm, I'm not like that. Because for me, it's not it's not about getting a specific spot or a specific building. Um, it's more about the message or what I can create or what is the the higher purpose of hitting the spot and usually it's not the spot the higher purpose comes from other experiences you know yeah love that yeah i love that and you're muslim you're and you you i've read from your your profile you say you're muslim on your twitter how do you deal with uh like racism fear-mongering those types of things that might come along with what you're doing you know yeah um, uh, muslim in new york and climbing buildings illegally i i would imagine there's like some risk and like, you know, people thinking that you were there for like some bad purpose or something, you know, there's a lot of racism and fear mongering around Muslims in this country. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, you know, the funny thing is I never experienced the, like, I guess like I grew up kind of like sheltered, especially after 9-11. My parents were very much like, we need to protect our daughters sure. um, from kind of like the increased Islamophobic attacks that happened post 9-11. Sure. Um, so we didn't like I and because of that, I've been blessed to like not experience a lot of those things. And it wasn't until I got into rooftoping and started putting myself out there through rooftoping yeah. that like I was like. This is this is like all these Islamophobic commentary and rhetoric and like just thinking right. is so new to me. Um, and it wasn't it was like actually the first time that I got caught <laughs> at a hotel like four years ago. Um, and I'm banned from that hotel, but <laughs> it is what it is. Um, uh, that um, like the security guard. Right. And he he's a he's a big black guy, person of color. Like he gets he gets it in terms right, of right. like just the minority experience. you know. Sure, sure. And he we're sitting at this table. We're waiting for the cops to come. He looks at me and he says like and you of all people. And he's like gesturing to his head in reference to like my hijab being like a visibly Muslim woman. And uh, he's like, you shouldn't be doing this. You should have been more careful. Like, you know, because like he's thinking like, okay, you're a visibly Muslim woman. If anyone sees you do this, like it could potentially be blown out of proportion. Yeah, um, right. So I think like that is probably like one of my greatest fears, you know, where um, I have a hard time like trusting different authority figures because I just don't know in today's society, like if anybody's really harboring any sort of deep down, like seated, like Islamophobic rhetoric or what they could do um, if it was just me and that person. Um, So I take protective measures. I don't go anywhere alone. Um, I'm always with somebody else. Um, And, and I talk back, you know, Um, (laughs) like authority figures have asked me to remove my hijab and I know the laws and I'm not required to do that. And so 
Um, so I stand my ground, you know, and it's, it's, <laughs> and it's, it's really just not until you are confident in yourself and what you believe and, um, that you can kind of hold your ground and confront these like biases and these stereotypes and this, this unjust like mentality that folks have, because this is what the media feeds them. Um, I was kind of curious, does that play any part in like this art form that you're creating? I mean, are you thinking like about like breaking through those barriers as you're doing what you're doing? Is that part of it for you? Initially it wasn't. Um, Now it a little bit is, I don't want to say that like my art is, political but it kind of is to an extent and different pieces are different levels of political um and I think like even if I didn't want it to be political like no matter what I do being a visibly Muslim person on top of buildings you know um or jumping out of planes or whatever it's going to my identity is always going to be political um so like there was a point where like um So it's funny because like the first couple of years of just rooftopping, I was very anonymous. No one even knew I was a girl. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And um, like I put like a photo of me on my story on Instagram and some dude from like a like from the UK, like DM'd and was like, wait, I didn't even know you were a Muslim woman. Like this is huge. Like you need to put yourself out there. You are doing something so unique. You have a platform like you could be like, making a difference and so when they said that like it was like I don't know you know what I mean it's kind of scary to put yourself out there especially in a culture that is like you're supposed to be hidden you're supposed to be kind of like under the radar um so like that but then at the same time I realized that like there is there is no one on this planet doing what I'm doing in the way that I'm doing it um and I've been so blessed to be in this position that like I feel like I have like it would be it would be unfair, unjust, and not the right thing to do for the blessing that I've been given to not put myself out there in terms of like being able to address some of these like other comments that people have or or just like not for myself but for like generations after me you know um or like to just inspire other women other men other muslim women you know to just kind of get out there and be the best version of themselves and and not be afraid of different things or of how society perceives them or how society looks at them of what society thinks um and uh yeah i just it's kind of like i'm still trying to figure out how how to i guess how I can use what I'm doing to, I guess, make the world a better place as like cheesy as that sounds, but that is the bigger goal. That is the intention. Well, that's kind of why I was so determined to speak to you. Because <laughs> not only are you, you're, you're in the right place at the right time at this pivotal moment in art history where this emergence of crypto art is like happening, but also you're at the right place at the right time as a Muslim woman in this crypto art history with a voice that can talk to like, you know, women's rights and all this stuff that's like so like important and going on in the world right now. You know, I mean, it just seems like you have like, you have an opportunity right now to use your voice and it seems like you're, you're, you're trying to seize that opportunity to me. So <laughs> <laughs> I definitely want to, it would, yeah. like I said, like it would just be like such an injustice to be given such a blessing and not use it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Let me ask you a question. I ask everybody this. What was the first thing in your life that you created that you would call art? <laughs> I didn't call myself an artist until just just after COVID, to be honest. That's okay. Do you um, the first thing you made? And for me, it's like I know a lot of people like with art, like they kind of like go in with the intention of creating something. Mm-hmm. And then they work on creating it. But like with with rooftopping, it's very much like it's very hard to go into a like a spot or a building with the intention of creating something um, and have like just a few minutes um, sometimes to just shoot um, or just like come up, come come across like 
security or other things or whatever that prevent you from getting to the top anyways. Um, there's all these other factors. Mm-hmm. Um, the risk primarily that like I, for me, it's like after the fact. So I, I've never gone into a spot with the intention of like creating something with a vision in mind. Gotcha. For me, like the art part comes like, okay, I'll go through, I'll go experience it. Um, and then afterwards I'll sit on it. I'll sit on it and then um, it's really just like I don't call it art until there is a weird feeling in my chest that like if I if there's like if I don't express what I need to express if that picture doesn't match up with like a specific message that I have or it's usually what happens is I'll go shoot it'll sit on my memory card for months um, and then like I get to a point inside where it's like I need to express this concept this idea this thought and then I'll find a photo that matches that. So that point, I guess, is what when the art happens for me, um, which is, I guess, very backwards compared to a lot of people. Uh, But that's just my process. Um, And I think like the first piece, um, I'm actually dropping it next week on Super Rare. Um, The first piece I would consider art. Yeah. Um, And again, like this was like I took this photo. This is your Genesis piece that you're dropping on Super Rare. Yes. 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 And uh, I had shot it in 2018 or no, 2019. And the message came years later. (laughs) You know what I mean? Can you (laughs) describe the piece to us? Yeah, it's, 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 um, it's in a series called Identity. um, And it's the series called Identity because over the last five, six years of rooftopping, like the intention was I like I went in because I wanted to find myself. And I found myself, I found who I am through rooftopping. So all of these self-portraits are my identity, are different parts of my identity and different like key phases of the last five years of exploring um, that have helped me find my identity. So this was, I guess, like the first self-portrait um, where it's it's um, it was such a magical moment. It was um, my first construction site. And the first building I kind of like did by myself. And um, it was a Sunday morning sunrise, like 6, 7 a.m. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, like low fog just came out and it was so thick. It like engulfed the whole building. I could not like you couldn't even see like the building on the next block. Um, It was it was such a magical moment. and I hadn't experienced anything like that ever in my life. And I haven't experienced anything like that, like until like three, four years later. So it was so special. Um, and it's just literally just me like standing on like one side of the building um, with all oh, like the fog behind me. It's just like a complete whiteout. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> cool. You video record everything when you're when you're doing these explorations? No. No. <laughs> no. I, mean, I, mean, I, I looked through some of your TikToks, so I kind of just said, seen like you had a GoPro at some points. Yeah. Um, sometimes, like if it's like an interesting spot, um, like a spire or like just a new building or something like that, I'll have a throw on a GoPro. Right. Um, but like I haven't really. So. <laughs> okay. Right on. Yeah. Fair enough. I was going to ask you did, did you have any exposure to crypto prior to NFTs? No. No? You never like bought Bitcoin or did any investing in crypto at all? No. How did you become aware of NFTs? Um, one of my friends who had been following me on Instagram reached out and told me this was like January of 2021. He was like, you need to put your put your work out there as NFTs like you could kill it. Um, and so then I started, like, I was like, I don't know what this is. Um, and this is like, it all just looks like magic internet money to me. (laughs) And, um, like I was so skeptical. Um, so I literally like spent like from January, 2021, all the way through like August of 2021, kind of like just stalking the space, observing the space, building my platform on Twitter, learning from other artists, um, before really deciding like, all right, I'm going to put some pieces out. Gotcha. You uh, did, had you been on Twitter prior to that, or was it something that you just jumped into when you got onto NFTs? No, I've been on Twitter for a while. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, what was the first platform that you minted something on? Um, 
I meant it on foundation. My genesis is on foundation. Okay. My own experience in NFTs was that there was a pretty steep learning curve, just trying to figure out what it was, how it works, how to mint, how to do, how to, you know, all this stuff. How did you, how did you teach yourself enough to be able to mint something on on foundation? Did someone help you or did you teach yourself? Um, it was more like I learned from other people in the space yeah. without asking them directly. <laughs> okay. okay, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> just like reading threads, just like hopping into spaces. Just right like on. I literally spent just like months of doing that, like preliminary research. When you dropped your piece on foundation, did someone collect it? They did. Um, I was blessed to have like two bids on the first day. Wow. Um, nice. And then the... It was a three-piece Genesis collection, um, and it sold out in like a week and a half. So it was good, yeah. Do you know the collectors who have your original pieces? I'm in contact with them. I haven't met them in person yet. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you've you've reached out to them? Yes. Nice. Uh, How do you you maintain your relationships with collectors or develop relationships with your collectors? Um, I... I, I feel like I'm better at maintaining relationships versus developing relationships. Yeah. I think like for me, it's like, I, I know like a lot of folks kind of like reach out to collectors beforehand and kind of like establish something. Sure. I'm, I'm like very much like, I, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> it just feels like shilling to me and I don't want to do that. So I'm like sure. if someone buys like my work or something, I will reach out to them at that point and then start a relationship and kind of like, check in on them and update them and like things like that. I do have like a, a little collector group chat with just a few collectors, but I want to move it over to discord to bring everybody in. Um, so How do you, yeah. where do you keep that group chat now? Is it like in like what platform do you, it's just the Twitter group chat. Oh, I got yeah. you. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I'm in a couple of uh, group chats with collect with uh, artists who have collected their work and that works. That works pretty well. Yeah. I think discord discord's a little harder. Do you use discord a lot? Um, I like discord a lot. I do. I don't use it too much, but I started my collector group chat on discord and then moved to Twitter. And then I feel like I need to go back to discord. Um, it's just, I think I I like it so much better because I like everything doesn't get lost and like it's categorized and organized and it's easy. (laughs) I want to ask you, how do you earn a living right now? Do you through art or do you have a like other career or? No, I'm a full-time NFT artist. You're a full-time <laughs> NFT artist. Yeah. Wow, that's really awesome that you've made uh, you made you made it well enough in the space where you can become full-time. I mean, I'm not making you bank. Me, you, <laughs> understood. Can you talk me through like how how that all evolved for you, like from the um, start on foundation to where you are now? Yeah. Um, well, before that, um, from I was in the corporate world. Um, got laid off at the start of COVID. It was the best thing um, because I just wasn't happy at that job. So when COVID hit and I got laid off, I was able to pursue photography like full time. So um, that I got into automotive photography and videography through at that time. Um, So I was like doing like, that was like my thing. And then I got into NFTs and like was still doing like other forms of photography as well. Uh-huh. And then it really wasn't until I guess um, maybe like six months in, maybe at like around NFT NYC last year that like I was like, all right, let me just, I'm making enough to survive, you know, let me just pursue this full time and not work for anybody else and create what I want to create and put myself out there more and see where it takes me. So, Hey, you've got yourself climbing these buildings and hanging off buildings and stuff and jumping into becoming a full-time artist. I mean, that's, that takes a lot of courage actually. Uh, Honestly, I feel like, I don't think it's me. I feel like I've just been blessed in a lot of ways to like not have additional responsibilities. Like I don't have a family that like our kids or things like that, that I need to like take care of um, or like super like other financial responsibilities or anything like that. It's really just, just, you know, so I'm blessed. (laughs) So when things start, when you started into the, into your digital art journey here, um, things were in a pretty 
bull market you know like it was pretty like everybody was making bank so as you said and now we're in a totally different type of market right now where it's not not pumping like it was how's that experience been for you um it's it's been good because it's forced me to take the space much more seriously i'm like the type where if like everything's good I like tend to take a step back and just relax. Um, and now I'm in a situation where it's like I need to ensure I'm making my monthly goals um, right just just to survive. Um, and I'm it's like pushing putting that pressure on me. Um, so for me personally, it's been good financially, not so much, but other than that, it's good. Yeah. And I think, you know, whatever we're in right now is probably very temporary and people who, I feel like people who are here and creating right now will hopefully be rewarded when things get better. Yeah. I fully believe it. (laughs) Yeah, I totally do too. How do you, have you been like involved in, I know you live in New York or you live in the New York area. Have you been around like some of the, um, some of the big like events that have happened like NFT New York or those things. Yeah. So this, this last, this past summer um, in June was my first NFT event. Yeah. Um, it was during NFT NYC. Yeah. Um, I also got to curate a, like a, my first gallery. So like a cityscapes and drone and aerial rooftoping gallery um, because of comp Som studios. And that was awesome. Wow. Um yeah, had like my had a few of my pieces in other different galleries as well, and that was a first for me too. Um, yeah, a lot of firsts. <laughs> right on. Yeah, I was at NFT New York. That was my first NFT event. Uh, my wife and I went to that, and we we just loved it. Like meeting all the people was like the best thing. I'm yeah. sorry I didn't get to meet you, but I probably <laughs> I'll plan, <Next> <laughs> plan on being back there next year for sure. Did you go? And you you were in Miami recently at Art Basel, yeah. I was, yes. I didn't stay too long. Literally just was like, well, my intention for going down to Miami was I'm going to go to Art Basel, but I'm also going to get my skydiving license. Um, The weather's better there. And um, so I ended up staying for two weeks down there and um, got my skydiving license. But like Art Basel, like it was, um, I think I was like only at like Art Basel events for like two days the day I got in. And then another day I was done early with the skydiving program. Um, so, but it was great to meet people again. And I met a lot of new faces too this time. Um, met some of my collectors too. Um, that was dope. Met um, some people I've been wanting to meet for a really long time too. So that was, it was just great. Like the intention for me was I'm going to go in and I'm going to meet as many people as possible. I had the same experience. I went to, uh, we went to Art Basel as well. And uh, I don't know, you know, like, I think it was more of, it felt more intimate, like meeting people in Miami than it did in New York. New York was just like crazy. It was like running from one place to another, one party to another, one thing to another. And we like met so many people, but it was like overwhelming. And Miami felt more cozy or something. I don't know. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. What uh what inspired you to get a skydiving license? Um, well, I feel like it's like I'm like the type of person that like I like change. <laughs> um, I like to continue pushing myself and challenging myself and doing different things. And uh, I had been doing rooftoping for like five six years. Um, and it's like, okay, what's next? <laughs> How can I push myself junkie? further? <laughs> no, I'm absolutely no, not no. a villain junkie. No, 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 no. Um, it's more like I, I want to experience all that this world has to offer in a lot of different ways. And I don't want to hold myself back. And I think the start of that was rooftoping and, um, skydiving just felt like the next thing. It just felt like an evolution of rooftoping. Maybe Um, it's not adrenaline junkie for you. Maybe it's just like, you're just somebody that feels the need to like push themselves and push their like boundaries a little. Yes, but also like when I was one of like my earlier jumps, we there was clouds everywhere, okay, and it was a sunset jump, and right. it was the most beautiful, gorgeous thing I have ever experienced to be under canopy with clouds just like in front of you, like right on. Can you imagine like not too many people get to experience that? And like I think like that that's what I'm seeking more than anything. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, that's fair enough. <laughs> What's the have you have you had any like um, dangerous experiences through your journey in five years? I'm sure you've been on some high buildings and some sketchy places. Yeah, um, I actually slipped on a crane. <laughs> um was very close to death at that point um it was uh it was the last crane i ever did (laughs) but i want to get back into it and i feel like i should get back into it at this point (laughs) Um, but um this was 20 summer of 2020 and it was a building on the upper east side and it was a gorgeous spot we were there for sunrise um, and I'm not too experienced with climbing cranes. I only have done a few of them. Ha- don't have too much experience going to all the way to the top either. It's hard for me to climb cranes. It's scary. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like the this crane was, it didn't have like a grate on the inside where you can put your feet and it's easy to pull yourself up. You had to climb the actual framework of the crane. So I am like trying to pull myself up and it's really hard because I'm like, I'm five, three, so I'm not that tall. It's hard for me to reach things. Um, and, uh, so I, like my homie was helping me get up, but on our way down, like we, we saw cops beneath us. Um, and we were like, Oh shit. You know what I mean? Um, like this is not a good sign. So we were kind of rushing our way down. He got down before me and I was, taking my time a little bit because I didn't want to like you know um it was scary and so I was on my way down I ended up grabbing like there's a cable in the middle of the crane grab that cable to help like lower myself down and reach like the next bar to put my feet at and that cable like I don't know what happened but like I don't either my hand slipped on it or the cable slipped in some way but it slipped and I fell back but thankfully like it caught itself otherwise I really think like I would have been like severely injured or even dead at this point um, um have not climbed a full crane since but yeah <laughs> do you do you use any type of safety gear at all when you're doing this stuff or are you just totally freestyle Nope. Um, I think it's like part of the culture to just kind of like free climb everything, you know? (laughs) (laughs) It makes my stomach drop talking to you. (laughs) I have like a terrible fear of heights too. So, you know, I don't know. I get like really nervous when I go to buildings. I'm a general contractor too. So like I got to go up on like roofs and, you know, climb on buildings and stuff all the time and ladders and things like that. But I, I always like just try to take it really slow and easy. <laughs> you know what? There's a thing where it's like we we tell each other like other urban explorers like we're all terrified. Everyone's terrified, but like you're just gonna do it scared anyways. Just just do it scared. <laughs> so that is a thing. I, I actually that's um, that's kind of a point. I'm glad you brought it up. I mean, I guess you know people people the people that are doing it, it looks <laughs> fearless, but I but you're telling me that's not the case. They, they, they feel it. They just push through it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's impressive. <laughs> Who inspires you? I honestly don't know how to answer that question or what to say about that question. And it's something I've thought about for a really long time, but is it weird to say that I don't really have like a specific inspiration or like one person I can think of or like any people I can think of, to be honest. Um, I think like I find inspiration from, like not in terms of like art, but in terms of just like character, um, in terms of what that, in terms of like the person I want to be and the person I want to be like, um, from some of my closer friends, um, from my parents, um, from them, like I am inspired to be like so patient. Like imagine like having a daughter like who's out here like just. <laughs> they have just been so patient with me over the last years, um, and. I find that to be like super inspiring. Um, And then from like uh, my other friends, just like their level of tolerance for different things, um, their openness, their acceptance. So like those, those things, like more just like things about people's character, I find very inspiring. Yeah. That's a great answer. Um, uh, And you brought up a great point. What, What do you say to your mom when you tell her I'm climbing buildings for a living? How does she, how does she handle that? They don't like it at all, you know, because yeah. um, yeah. my mom, like she, she got married at 19. So um, she got married really, really young. And then she immigrated. And my dad was like 20, 
four or something so just a few years older and so like they were both very young so like for my mom like and in like South Asian culture in general like a girl's life is very much like okay you grow up you get married you have kids you take care of your family that is your life right so for me to be like older than her not married in terms of like past 19 and not married um and then just also kind of like living a very independent single adventurous solo life is very foreign to her she does not like it she doesn't think this is what i'm supposed to be doing she thinks it's like against like everything um but they're very patient they're very tolerant they don't support it um but they know i'm gonna be doing this stuff anyways and so sounds like they may not like it but they support you they love you and they support you to an extent yeah (laughs) (laughs) do you have any artists that you follow or 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 are inspired by anybody in the art world there is one artist that i'm really inspired um by his work ethic yeah um uh, Austin Visuals, Austin Visuals. I, was, I couldn't remember his last name, so I just gave you his, um, his handle. But um, yeah, no, no, no worries. <laughs> um, he like, I met him very early on before I really got into NFTs, and I've just kind of like watched him grind day in and day out, be aware, just constantly want to learn and grow and try different things and evolve. He also recently is like became like a full-time photographer creator um so that's also been very inspiring to watch him as well i like it's just the level the work ethic he has is just mind-blowing but then there's also at the same time there's a lot of um so when i got into nfts there wasn't also a lot of brown photographers um that i came across um there was this one girl priyanka she was so inspiring just to see another brown woman in this space killing it was inspiring um there's a group of brown digital artists south asian digital artists that like we call we have a group chat called the brown fam like huge shout out to them like their work ethic their desire just their level of understanding of what i'm going through as well um so inspiring they're they're always so supportive they just they just get it (laughs) yeah so so yeah (laughs) yeah that's very cool it's great to see women uh come piling into this space and i've had a lot of women on my show i've had some really amazing women on the show yourself included do you collect any nfts i do yeah um i was gonna ask you what you're collecting um i collect mainly photography um, I haven't collected too much digital art yet, but if hopefully the super sale goes well, I plan to expand um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and kind of like get into more digital art too. Um, but I, yeah, it's just, it's just been a lot of photography from like other friends and just art. I haven't, I feel like it's, it's been more like collecting from people that I know and I want to support them versus collecting art that like I truly I'm like mind blown by and I was like, I need, I, and it's like, I need to have that, you know, I'm not at that point yet, but gotcha. I'm happy with who I've collected from and what I've collected thus far. Very cool. Let's get the word out there about your super rare drop. When's that happening? Tuesday, next Tuesday. Next <laughs> Tuesday. Right on. Yes. Are you promoting it at all on Twitter or any of your social media stuff, like in your friend circle and your stuff like yeah, that? Yeah. I'm actually yeah. going to be making an announcement about it today on Twitter. Okay. Cool. Um, it's a 16th. This podcast will be out on Tuesday, so we can. Uh, oh, that works. <laughs> we, can, we can drop the podcast in conjunction with your super rare. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And then people that are, want to know more about you can listen in. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> right on. How do you um, connect with your with with people? Do you mostly you just do it through social media? I guess like what would be the other like, like in this and like in this realm in the NFT realm how do you con- connect with people that are collecting or buying from you or looking at your art is it mostly through social media yeah like what's, 100% through social media talk to me about your social media life what's where what's the best places to find you where can we look for your stuff um I am on TikTok and Instagram and Twitter um right. Twitter sees all of my photography first okay um Instagram and TikTok sees more of like my video stuff first. Yeah. Um, and it's just like, it's not anything like, 
the video stuff is not anything like serious. It's just like fun, you know. Um, another way to like just put my ideas and myself and express myself. Um, but yeah. but yeah, I I'm trying to be more active on all three platforms, but that's where I'm largely at. <laughs> I think you probably have the same struggle as most artists I talk to. It's like a balance of creating and then like social media and self-promotion and all of that. How do you balance all of that in your own life? Um, I have a schedule. (laughs) 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 Good for you for having a schedule. (laughs) And it starts with my morning routine. um, And that morning routine is like the first, like I'm usually like, I don't know, are you 5 a.m. gang? <laughs> um, but like I'm up at like 5 a.m. and I do a lot, a lot of like no phone, you know, it's on airplane mode and it's like just focus oh. on myself, yeah. um, focus on like God and just like do a lot of spiritual things the first like three hours um, and then just kind of like go to the gym, eat well, start my day right. And then if that goes right, everything kind of just like, then I come back from the gym, I do like all my Twitter GMs and like all of that. And then I focus on Instagram and then go back to Twitter and then good night. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Uh, you mentioned going to the gym. I was going to um, touch on that actually for a moment. I, I was going to say, you must be in pretty good shape if you're doing like the climbing and then like, I, I'm, I'm assuming like these buildings it's a lot of stairs probably yeah yeah you on the stairs uh, a lot i guess you are right i am not in pretty good shape but we're still out here you know what i mean you're, you're <laughs> in enough shape to get to one of those building tops i guess you gotta be um but no at the gym yeah it is like uh, a lot of like the stair machine um uh, and a lot of leg day i love leg day um so yeah, yeah. What's your spiritual routine? I'm just curious. I have my own, so I'm just uh, oh, right. <laughs> now I'm curious about yours. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. Um, so as a Muslim, like we um, are obligated to pay five times a day. Obviously, like that is an obligation from God. But as humans, we have that free will to actually do it or not, right? So um, my whole day kind of revolves around, you know, ensuring I have that time set aside to meet I guess that appointment with God um and everything else kind of revolves around that so first thing in the morning it's like I'm up at like 5 a.m um and um I do my morning prayers um there's a lot of like just I guess I don't know how to explain it but just a lot of just talking to God meditating um I don't I don't know what to explain it but um, a lot of that, um, a lot of crying, you know, <laughs> none of this is easy. <laughs> um, so there's that and kind of get it out of my system. And, um, and then, uh, I read, I read the Quran in the morning and, um, the Quran is like the holy book yeah. of, in Islam. Yeah. So I, I read that there's like a specific chapter I like to read every morning to start off my day. Um, and uh, then after that, it's like usually around like 8 p.m., 8 a.m. And then it's the gym. So it's really just like that 5 to 8 a.m. block where it's just like a few different prayers, just time in between talking to God, reflecting, um, crying, reading the Quran, and then the gym. Yeah, yeah it's pretty <laughs> inspiring that you're able to block off that much time of, of your day in the morning that you have the discipline enough to get up that early and make enough time for yourself. Cause most people and myself included, I don't make enough time. You know, I have my little thing I do in the morning, but it's always like rush, rush, go, you know, phones out and I'm off to work and gym, you know, moving. I wish I could take three hours in the morning. I wish I had the, dis- <laughs> I wish I had the discipline to get up early enough to take three hours for myself every morning. That would be amazing. There's a, I don't know if this is a new concept, but I saw it on TikTok the other day about like having a five to nine before your nine to five. Um, and I feel like this with like the whole like spirituality part of it and then the gym and the food and the, the things like that, like yeah. the whole morning routine is my five to nine. And when I don't do that five to nine, when I slack on that, like the whole day, just like, it just does not work well for me. Um, so it's like, if I, I know that if I want to be at my best, I need to do my five to nine. Yeah, right. Um, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a little inspiring. <laughs> I like that. What do you feel about like your floor prices when you're looking at your artwork? How do you determine what something's worth and how you would price your art? So 
I think like it just depends on the type of work and like the photo and like that the meaning of that photo to me. Okay. Um or or like the message of that photo. Okay. And like I usually like put out these photos like months beforehand just to kind of get a gauge of like how it's being received. Okay. Um just like posting on Twitter sure. and if it's like if it gets received really well and people are responding to it, um, I will price it higher. Um, but that's also if it's in conjunction with the way I feel about it. Um, and, but it also, if it's like an addition um, versus a one-on-one, it's obviously going to be priced differently. If it's like part of a larger collection versus a smaller collection, or if it's just like a standalone one-on-one, um, it's priced differently. Um, and But like these last few months, I've been very much like, I feel like, I hit the ground when I started last year really strong. I was able to sell my pieces at a higher price compared to um, a lot of photographers at that time. But I didn't maintain that momentum. And I think like the biggest lesson I've learned this last year is you you have to maintain momentum. As soon as you sell out, you got to put out a new piece. You know what I mean? Interesting. Because otherwise, like I feel like people don't really care about you unless you're selling. Um, people don't really care about what you're doing or your work or what your future plans are. They don't really care to support you unless you are continuously selling and growing. Um, and, uh, so I feel like I had to start over with a lot of my pricing and that, that I'm okay with that. That's okay. And, um, I'm just like, I started with like the point one reserves just to see how people respond to like other types of photography and other types of digital art that I want to do. I don't like to like put myself in like a box so i like to experiment with like animations and like just like glitch art and um just like different different things you know and and just see how people respond <laughs> i i noticed one of your collections was like the cyberpunk kind of genre yeah yes yes that one got a lot of attention because um there was just a lot of controversy around it um just like because it was a collection of one of ones and editions, uh-huh. but um, the editions were like poster editions of the one of one. Uh-huh. Um, so, I mean, I had my reasons for doing it. I wanted to maintain the value of the one of one, but I yeah. also wanted to have my best work accessible to more people. Uh-huh. So that's why the poster editions. But some people were like, "Why are you using the same photo? And how does this make sense? And this is dishonest." And I'm like, "No, it's not." <laughs> <laughs> Um, and it did really well. You want. <laughs> yeah, it did really well. It. So. <laughs> All right. I mean, that's it. That's it. <laughs> what do you? Um, what's your viewpoint on this royalties debate? Have you been watching that go on? Um, you know, the thing about the NFT space is that it's supposed to be different than anything we've ever seen before in yeah. terms of how artists are treated and what artists can do and and the value of artists. And I think that if you take away royalties because of collectors because people are greedy i think that is a huge disservice to the artists who literally create this space like the whole nft space is like wouldn't be here the jpegs wouldn't be here if not for the artists who created them right sure it's only right to kind of like ensure that they continue to i guess get credited and i feel like royalties are just another form of credit right like monetary credit for their effort for their work for their time um for their platform um because the space is nothing without artists very true very true it'll be interesting to see how all this plays out over the next couple of years for sure yeah it's a it's a big debate and a lot of people are talking about it and there's a lot of smart people in this space that are thinking about how to solve these problems so i'm I'm just kind of like interested to see how it all resolves over time yeah for sure i we're we're as cliche as it is we're so early you know what i mean (laughs) can i ask you what are your thoughts on the state of the current market of right now how do you feel things are going um i don't know if i had i can talk about that because like i also don't entirely know what's going on in this space um (laughs) (laughs) i'm just like i just know that i'm here as an artist and i believe in this space and i'm going to continue putting my 110 percent in this space um until it dies out until i can't anymore you know until i can't survive anymore um and hopefully that never comes to that 
Um, yeah. Otherwise, I'm here. <laughs> right on. I love that. Is there anything that I didn't ask you about yourself or that you'd like to say about yourself, um, NFTs or the future of NFTs before we wrap it up? Not necessarily, um, but kind of like more, can I share like a, just a message for people? I would love that. Um, I just want to remind everybody to kind of not hold themselves back and do that thing that they're afraid to do. Um, whether it's more of like talking to that person they're afraid to talk to or DMing that collector they're afraid to DM or just putting their art out there that they're afraid to put out there. Um, do the thing that you're afraid to do because you don't know like, I feel like life starts on the other side of fear, you know? <laughs> I love that. And you seem like the perfect poster child for like pushing <laughs> yourself beyond things that would be very scary. <laughs> <laughs> very cool. What do you say we wrap it up on that note? Sounds good. <laughs> thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today. And thank you for coming on the show. I look forward to uh, watching your career grow in the future. Thank you. I really, really appreciate you thinking of me. And this was such a great conversation. Thank you for having me. Thank you all again for joining me on another episode of The Ledge. That was a great conversation with Minaji. And I will post a link to her Twitter profile and her link tree in the notes below, in the show notes below. You can find me on Twitter at Harper underscore underscore Chris or at ChrisHarper.eth on Instagram. I'm here every Tuesday with a new artist talking about the future of NFTs in the digital art space. If you like the show, please rate and review me on the platform that you listen to. And you can find me here every week. And I'll see you out on the ledge.